there are more than 3 billion video gamers worldwide. We have seen people playing games for 10 years and 20 years because of the community, who you meet in games. Today, the head of one major video game developer on using AI to advance gaming responsibly. Everyone, including the consumers uh, and the users of this technology, should be cognizant that it's very likely there will be some sort of bias. Real community in artificial intelligence in gaming. I'm Nyla Boodoo, and from Axios, this is One Big Thing. AI-driven technologies are already changing gaming. Gaming is one of the industries where AI is really proving its value fast. The industry is actually bigger than Hollywood now, and gamers expect a lot from game developers. That's Ryan Heath, global technology correspondent for Axios. I asked him to set the stage for our interview this week. Games themselves are getting so sophisticated these days that AI definitely has the potential to change the economics of the whole industry by automating creation. You're still going to need humans. This isn't a job loss story. It's much more likely that AI will speed up creation and expand the sorts of characters and imagery that get used in games. That said, 84% of game developers surveyed by the Game Developers Conference say they have ethical worries about how generative AI is getting used. One of these is Song Yi Yoon, president and chief strategic officer at South Korean-based video game developer NCSoft. Her company is behind online games like Lineage, City of Heroes, and Guild Wars. And she's been talking about responsible AI since way before it was buzzy. All this technology and the software that we develop really reflects the perspective of those who are developing this. I wanted to know more about how Sanyi sees the power of gaming today and where AI is a strength and a potential weakness. So I sat down with her last week at the Axios house we set up at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Welcome to One Big Thing, Sanyi. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I wanted to start with NCSoft. You talk about the communities that games create. What data do we have on how these games actually bring people together? NCSoft started in 1995 and was one of the first gaming companies that developed and published MMORPG games, which stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Games. And by nature, the community aspect of it is integral part of the gameplay. And before the social media was so prevalent across the world, we have seen people meet through the games, be the best friends, or get married, and meet through like numerous in-game weddings for them since early 2000s. So you've had in-game weddings for people. I think I heard you say that you can think of the world as divided between people who play games and people who don't play games. For people who don't play games, can you explain, I know that you've analyzed terabytes of data on multiple player games, like what do you think it is that brings people back to particular games time and time again? So first of all, play is always a very integral part of all of us humans, right? So we learn 
how to do things. If you kind of see the baby polar bears, that you can see sibling bears playing together to learn how to hunt and how to interact with other bears and how to use use their different body parts, etc. And I think that's the play is very integral for like learning. And not only that, I think it's very important for like fostering creativity and sharpening your sensory skills. And and there is a notion called Homo ludens as opposed to Homo sapiens. So Homo sapiens is people who think. Homo ludens is people who play. It kind of emphasizes how play is such an integral part of the human development and evolution. And for the game developers, we are trying to. Give players different experience. In one sense, it's a very safe environment. It's like risk-free because if you fail, if something doesn't work out, you have unlimited lives to try together and opportunities. So this is a safe environment. And some people come uh, into gaming for community to meet other friends. Some people come into the gaming for the joy of problem solving. Or some people come into gaming for like exploration, and they like to explore the world, the virtual world, and find new things and, and enjoy the serendipity. So that's how we kind of think of games and why people come to game over and over again. So it must be a very difficult decision for you then when you decide to shut down games. I imagine that can become a very upsetting or controversial decision as someone who runs these gaming communities. Yes, it's one of the most difficult decisions. I mean, I think we try. Its game development process is is very long, as you know. I mean, it takes some of the big games that we launch four years, five years, and along the way, we go through a lot of the focus group test, uh, close beta, to make sure that what we're developing has a resonate very well with our target audience. But I think our preference is to stop development of the game if we kind of can foresee that it's not going to perform very well in the marketplace. But uh, some games inevitably we launch it, but it doesn't work as much as we expected in the market after the launch. Then we have to make a very difficult business decisions to shut it down. We try to give enough lead time to the community so that they can be mentally prepared for that and give them opportunity to enjoy the like last last months with others that they kind of met within the game community, etc. So I'm not a gamer. I have a lot of family members who are. And I did become a super fan of the television adaptation of The Last of Us because I loved the story so much. And the same thing when I watched the TV show, the the, the TV adaptation of Halo. And I was just drawn into the incredibly compelling narratives around these worlds. And I wonder if you think we're at a point in our culture where the worlds and the stories of these games are just like, books or plays that can be adapted into other art forms. Absolutely, you're right. I sometimes I say like, oh, gaming is a new language for this young generation. They understand and it's it's almost like fascinating to watch this young people get on the game and like instantly knows what to do and how to navigate. Almost it's like their second nature and gaming is a great platform to tell a story. The story that you experience as a hero is different from individuals because your the speed of progression is different, the how you play, how you wander around the world is different. And so there are infinite stories. And it's no wonder there are like so many compelling stories that can come out of it. How did you first get involved? Like, what was the first game that you played? I mean, just like anyone else. I mean, I think when I first have access to personal computer, when I was 
nine, eight years old, and I still remember the time it was before Windows came out. So was this like the Atari era? This is pre-Windows. Era, <laughs> DOS era. Okay, so I had to have like a 3.5 inch DOS floppy disk. I remember those. <laughs> I start a computer, and I play snake games, and I play some uh, cassette games, and I, I loved uh, playing all of them. And as soon as I learned a programming language called Basic, which was the first programming language people learned at the time, I started making different type of games. So you helped found NCSoft's AI Center, which I take it is help bringing AI into products. In what ways do you see? AI actually changing gaming right now. If we step back, I mean, I think that gaming is a very interesting platform for innovation, right? So, think about all the boss monsters and NPC characters, which have been in gaming forever, right? They are autonomous characters that interact with human players in real time. So, they always have had like AI brain. To know how to interact with certain player, right? So we have uh, at NCSoft at ArenaNet, we had a VP of AI since 2005, right? So it was well before other industry fully embraced AI as a technology, and that's not surprising because gaming is again is a very safe platform. So even if the technology is not there quite yet. To apply fully for autonomous cars, for example, the worst thing that can happen is a client crash in gaming. So you can apply this new technology. Gaming is known for an industry or a platform that adopts new technology, just like a cloud or the newest, fastest kind of the processors or a graphic card. I think gamers are the early adopters. They are the ones who always embraces new innovation, and they expect for game companies. To use this new technology, and they enjoy just using it. So AI has been always integral part of the game development since early days. So we use it for not only for like uh, the NPC character design. Can you remind? So NPC, I know what it's a non non-play character. Non-play <laughs> so basically, it's just the characters who are in the background of the game who are part of the world. Right, right. That's right. Yeah, it's not player controlled. But it's like background characters that can also they can still interact with the player controlled characters. It's called NPC characters, and just like at any other companies, we use AI and data science in prediction for like for marketing or churn predictions, as well as developing NLP engines tailored for the gamer chat and chat moderation. Or like animation, like efficient animation tools, or even the, like a music, the background music. All of those things can uh, use interactive technology. In a moment, more with Songyi Yoon on AI and gaming. This is one big thing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code Spotify for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Axios is one big thing. I'm Nyla Boudou, and this week we're bringing you our second conversation from Davos, Switzerland, where I got to spend time talking with gaming and AI expert Songyi Yoon. 
You've been very vocal about concerns about how AI may affect society, including via implicit bias. Can you explain why? That realization came from my interactions with the game developers. Many years ago, I realized in games, most of the hero characters are male characters. So I said, yeah, like, why don't we have more female hero characters in games? Because now we have more female players, too. Because I understand the importance of having like aspirational characters, role models in the society. So I wanted to have more female heroes as well. And to my surprise, I was faced with a very strong pushback. And they asked me why. Why is it better to have similar number of female characters and male characters in the world? And that made me realize I don't have a good answer to it. Like, why? I mean, I just thought it was a, is a good thing to have a fair representation, but I've never thought about, like, why? Why it's better or why is it good? And I started a long journey of kind of asking around, like, what is better? What do you mean by all these values? And granted, this is uh, the questions that philosophers have been asking for hundreds of years. So I kind of reached out to philosophy professors to understand this topic. And the more I explore this area, I I realized that all this technology and the software that we develop really reflects the perspective of those who are developing this. And it's so much uh, more so in the case of AI, because there are many places that the human make decisions about which data set go into the training set. Like I thought that was very important for developers and engineers to have a responsible mindset that their views and perspectives can directly be reflected in, in those algorithms. So how do you think things stand now when one of the concerns with artificial intelligence is that these systems of inequities might also be built in because they're being programmed by people who have these biases? I think I feel optimistic today because when I first started talking about this issue many years ago, we didn't talk much about responsible broadband or like ethical like server storage, right? It's a kind of technology that we kind of put that the adjective ethical together and it's very new so when I started talking about our responsible development of AI or ethical AI I got a lot of questions like what do you mean like it's a, it's a technology like why do we have to think about all these other issues but Davos like everyone is talking about responsible AI development so I, I feel really uh, optimistic because I feel like there are so many allies now out there kind of agreeing with that uh, we have to be responsible. That's one thing. And, and the other is everyone, including the consumers and the users of this technology, should be cognizant that it's very likely there will be some sort of bias and some sort of representation mismatch because of the data that's available out there, right? One statistics that's really interesting, or like just kind of something that we need to work on, is that only 65% of the world population has access to broadband. And if people say, oh, this AI has been developed using the whole world data available on internet, it still doesn't represent the voice of those who do not have access to broadband, probably because they don't tend not to be the authors of the data on internet. So, I mean, regardless, that's kind of the limitation that we have to be aware of. So we cannot blindly 
believe because it's what machine says, because it's what algorithm says, it must be right. That's a that's a machine bias, and we have to be very alert about such biases. So, how do you think video games, especially as we think about artificial intelligence, can play a role in solving some of the world's problems today? I think it's the old world has to wake up and be very careful about what kind of technology they choose to use. Like a video game is a language. It's a form of media. It's a, it's a storytelling platform. It's a way to kind of depict the world, right? So I think it's a more responsibility in a, in a developer side is going to be very important to show the world like what the world should be. Like we don't want to create too many like stereotypical characters that, that shows characters like a, or a body type in, in certain certain way. I mean, I think it, we should be very cognizant about the, the influence that they can have on the audience and not just the gaming company, but like everyone that's participating and part of like creating and to contributing to the world should have this, the, the mindset of being responsible. Can I end by asking how you find joy and connection in games? Like, is there any favorite game that you have or that you've worked on that's always something that you love to play? I mean, I love, <laughs> I love all the games. I mean, you don't want to name a favorite child. Like, you love them all. <laughs> Dr. Sung-Yi Yoon is the author of Push Play. That's a book about how we play games, and that's coming out in March. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me here in Davos. Thank you so much. One last voice on this before we go. You might recognize the name, Stephen Totillo, former Axios gaming reporter. He's now a reporter and founder of Gamefile, a newsletter for people curious about the business and culture of video games. I asked Stephen to give us a reality check on the human versus AI touch in gaming now. Hi, Nyla. A lot of it really comes down to, do you trust a machine to do what previously a human did? You look at it in terms of maybe the Gen AI can help with some of the more tedious tasks of creating virtual worlds. This is something I've seen some studios dabble with. But they say it will still require human beings to finesse what the AI creates. It will still require that human hand to make things good enough or fun enough. So is it worth it? Some developers say yes, some developers say no, it's just not worth the hassle. There's also experimentation involving using Gen AI to create more dialogue. The idea being, well, it used to be that a human being had to write every line of dialogue for a video game character that the player was speaking to. What if the AI can just create kind of endless reactions to whatever the player is typing in? We've actually seen some tech demos come out along those lines. They're very robotic. In fact, they usually star robots to kind of get around that. And maybe that's something that's going to have uh, good results long term. But right now, it's, it's also been kind of rough. So these could be early days or these could be discoveries of a dead end. As often as is the case, gaming is the test bed for these new technologies. One thing to also keep in mind is that players have a voice in this. Gamers are very vocal. Just a couple of years ago, game companies were going gaga over NFTs in Web3 Gamers pushed back. They didn't want Web3 elements in a lot of the games that they played, and companies retreated. A lot of game companies are talking about Gen AI now, and one of the biggest platforms for PC gaming, at least, Steam, it's the main place people go to buy and play PC games, has said, well, we're going to require developers to put a label on their store page saying whether or not they use generative AI tools or not. And we're going to see an interesting reaction to that. Are players going to be drawn to that? Are they going to be repelled by that? And I suspect where players go is where these game companies are going to go as well. Stephen Totillo is the founder of the Gamefile newsletter. You can find that at gamefile.news. 
And that does it for this week's edition of One Big Thing. Our team includes supervising producer Alexandra Boti and sound engineer Jay Cowett. Alex Sugiyara composed our theme music. Asia Whitaker-Moore is Axios' executive editor, and Sarah Kalani Gu is Axios' editor-in-chief. Special thanks to Axios' Allison Snyder for her help this week. Please feel free to text me feedback or story ideas anytime at 202-918-4893, or you can email podcasts at axios.com. I'm Nyla Boudou. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here next Thursday.